Hello, welcome to Watering Seeds, a podcast conversation that reviews and reapplies the preached word to our own minds and hearts and to those of our listeners. Now, this podcast is a ministry of Covenant Reformed Presbyterian Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Today, we'll be discussing our recent sermon on Ephesians 2, verses 14 to 18. The title of the sermon is The Peacemaker. You can hear it on our website, www.covenantreform.net. Uh, give it a listen uh, before listening to the rest of this podcast. Uh, I'm here with my fellow pastor, Chris Brown. My name's Sean McCann. Uh, I preached the sermon, so Chris is going to be asking me some questions about that before we jump in. Uh, Chris, how are you doing today? Hey, I am doing well today. Okay. Well, very good. Uh, as has been our habit the last two months, uh, Chris has been listening to the, most of these sermons on multiple occasions, mm-hmm. uh, so he's well up on it uh, with full notes and everything. So instead of me starting, I'm just going to kick it to you, Chris, uh, to ask our first question. All right. Uh, before, actually, let me just review where we're at before you do that. Yeah. Here's 14 to 18 is a continuing theme of a larger section of verses 11 to 22. Uh, the main idea here is that Jesus brings true peace to the deepest divisions in our lives. The surface of the, the presenting issue to which Jesus brings peace is the hostility between Jew and Gentile in Paul's day. Uh, deeper than that, Paul shows us in this text that the only way that a horizontal peace between men can be achieved is through a vertical peace. Uh, a, a vertical peace achieved between man and God uh, by the work of Jesus on the cross. So we covered in the text, or through the text, how Jesus procures peace, how he gets it, how he obtains it, how he brings it about, and then how he proclaims peace, uh, verses 17 and 18, uh, there at the end. So more of the text, and therefore more of the sermon, was focused on the first point, uh, but we definitely want to get to in our time together this afternoon, the second uh, idea of Jesus proclaiming peace as well. So Chris, let me ask you to start asking me, I guess, <laughs> uh, under our first heading of Jesus procures peace. You want to jump in there? Yeah. Yeah. So it starts out, uh, like you said, with Jesus procuring peace or getting peace. Verse 14 says he himself is our peace. So uh, he's, he starts it off with that statement, and he says that he has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. So I guess the first question, uh, you talked about he, how he breaks down this dividing wall of hostility. Well, what, what is the dividing wall of hostility? What does yeah. that mean? Right. Um, yeah, it's complicated. I, I, mean, I think it's simple, but it's complicated because mm-hmm. it has multiple sort of implications and applications. Uh, so at its root, I interpret the text to say the dividing wall of hostility is the Old Testament law of God. And it is specifically the ceremonial law. Mm-hmm. One thing that was interesting, as I read in commentaries last week, is a number of those authors would point to it being the entire Mosaic law. Hmm. And the, it really representing the entire Torah and Old Testament. And I had to check some of my uh, the check some of the background of the authors of these commentaries. Uh, and many of them had a, a, a different 
uh, theological approach and commitment than we do, uh, coming from uh, really a, a more Baptistic background. Hmm. Our Westminster Confession of Faith has a, a very helpful explanation of God's law and the three uh, parts of the law in the Old Testament and how this and other places in Hebrews speak to the, the ceremonial law. That is the, the ritual sort of cleansing law that had to deal with what uh, the Jewish people would eat, what they would wear, uh, how and who they would interact with, all for a sense of a ritual cleanliness that in and of itself did not achieve any measure of salvation for them, but pointed to their need to be separate from the nations, ultimately cleansed uh, by the blood sacrifice that pointed to the coming Messiah. Now, a couple of things about that. One, that actual law came to be a, a ground, a, an improper ground for relational hostility mm. between Jews and Gentiles. And I think we see that kind of carried through in the Gospels, in the book of Acts. Uh, we can see some, uh, some pretty significant examples of that. Can I just pause you there? Yeah. Because I think last, was it last week that we discussed, um, or the week before, how circumcision was used that way? Mm-hmm. So, so I, I guess from your understanding of it, it's not just circumcision. It's it's the entire ceremonial law that's being abused in that way. Uh, something yeah. like that. Yeah, I don't know if the, I don't know if I would say the law is being abused. Mm. But I think the distinction is maybe misinterpreted. Oh, I gotcha. So there is a, a proper Old Testament distinction, but. The distinction led to maybe an improper interpretation of it by the mm. Jews who saw it as grounds for arrogance because they were better or cleaner uh, than their the Gentile, the unclean Gentile dogs. So maybe used in some other places. Like one example maybe is like we're told not to eat pork. The Philistines ate pork. So obviously we, we must be better people. Uh, because we're given this great thing about not eating pork or something like that. Exactly right. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I think that, I think that's where the, I think that the, in the verse dividing wall really speaks primarily to this ceremonial law. But then when Paul adds the modifying word of hostility, I think that leads to the experience, the interpersonal mm. experience. Mm-hmm. of Hmm. Another aspect of this was the, the there's a, a, a physical wall uh, in the temple. And mm. that physical wall, I don't think that wall is what Paul is speaking of. But I think as a good orator, he knows that that would be the, the kind of immediate mental picture his hearers would get of this dividing wall. Uh, and you asked me about this uh, earlier about, um, the the nature and construction of this wall. Do you want to speak on that real quick? Yeah, I mean, I guess... About that, whatever. Yeah, I guess there's some discussion about whether, you know, there's the, the court of, in Herod's temple, the second temple, there's the court of the Gentiles, there's the women's court, and then there's the men's court. Um, and in the court of the Gentiles, there's like a big stone 
that basically said, don't come past this point, and if you do, your blood's on yourself, something like that. Um, I guess the question is, was that part of the original temple plans that God gave, or was that something that had been developed later and would yeah. be like a good picture maybe of what Paul's saying? Yeah, or, my, or what, uh, what do you think? My temple development may be a little bit fuzzy, but I think, um, I do think that outer court was uh, either added or elaborated on by mm. Herod. Uh, that's, I think, the area of the temple where Jesus drives out the money changers. Mm -hmm. uh, I think under Herod, the temple took on a uh, more than a religious um, centrality, I guess, for the people. Mm. So, and yeah, you're right. I'm pretty sure some of those signs have actually been found. Mm -hmm. or, or there, There's images, there's archaeological finds of them or something like that. And they are. They're pretty much uh, strict warning signs to the Gentiles uh, not to pass. So that's sort of one of the reasons why I don't think Paul is talking about that physical wall uh, because God didn't, didn't erect. I don't believe uh, that physical wall to keep the Gentiles out, but I do think the ceremonial law mm -hmm. had that same effect. Hmm. Uh, yeah. And verse 15, I think kind of lends to your point where it's, he's referring to the, the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, right? Mm -hmm. So Exactly. So it's not just, it's not about like the physical wall out there isn't what he's talking about. Maybe that's, like you were saying, it just came to mind as they're thinking about the hostility. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, it wasn't supposed to be like this. We weren't supposed to hate each other and we're all supposed to be one, one people worshiping the one true God. Uh, Maybe that's a picture of it, but yeah, it's the yeah, whole it's thing. Yeah, of it, yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Well, cool. That was my question. Okay. <laughs> uh, what does it mean? Uh, so I guess the, the next thing is, um, how did Jesus break down the dividing wall of hostility and create a new people? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think, I mean, Maybe a couple things come to mind. Uh, one is his arrival makes it null and void, hmm. right? Because there, the the purity to which the division pointed has now come in Jesus, and so I I think we rightly understand Jesus as fulfilling the law of the Old Testament, and that includes, in a sense, fulfilling the ceremonial law, hmm. and so the shadow that pointed to the real thing. Uh, is no longer needed, right? Hmm. I, I used that the example of the Zoom calls that we're all so tired of. <laughs> and, you know, if we can finally be together in person, we don't need the Zoom calls anymore. Uh, and so, in a sense, that's how the, the old, that ceremonial law is abrogated hmm. uh, or it's ended. Uh, and I think, I mean, the flip side of that is how Jesus creates uh, and he creates by unifying a people in himself by faith alone in Christ so that those divisions, they don't sort of melt away, but they're no longer uh, the, you know, the differences in ethnic groups are no longer highlighted uh, in any way among the body of Christ because mm. now it's all one uh, in Jesus. Mm. So Did you have it. Yeah, go ahead. I guess just like a picture of that, I, I guess going back to the pork thing, uh, 
it'd be so before theoretically we thought we were these great people because we didn't eat pork we must be really good that's why god gave us this this law about pork and not eating it uh but now we found out it doesn't matter uh we can eat pork anybody can can be part of the people and so the the sort of ethnic pride there's no grounds for it anymore uh because that's not a law that's in place for us to misunderstand that's right uh, something like that is that sort of the the picture yeah i think so i think the i mean this it's not that the ceremonial law was just happenstance and of no importance right. in the old testament and there were maybe some practical reasons why the israelites did or didn't eat or wear whatever they did uh, but but ultimately there was nothing saving or even spiritually powerful in a certain kind of meat versus another kind of meat. Mm. But the law still had great importance in pointing to the spiritual separation of God's people from the nations. But mm. yet Jesus coming has the effect of nullifying that wall and not needed anymore. And you know, a picture of this, of course, is Peter's vision there in Acts with the lowering of the sheet and the animals and the command to rise, kill and eat. Um, so I, I think, I, I think your image yeah, is helpful in that regard. Okay. Uh, so then moving on to just maybe getting to the nitty gritty here of application. Uh, how does this relate to us today? And I guess, a way of asking it would be, um, are there things that we put in place or things that we misunderstand uh, that cause us to be hostile to brothers and sisters in Christ? Or do you think that that's a, an appropriate way of thinking about it? Yes, I do. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, it's tricky. So that there's a new people made up of Jew and Gentile alike. And, we have visible ethnic and national differences, hmm. but those differences that we experience now in the church are not the presenting or the deep difference between the Jew and the Gentile. Does that make sense? Right. The Jew and the Gentile was ultimately not an ethnic difference. Hmm. It was a spiritual difference. Mm -hmm. When I have a brother or sister in Christ from a different ethnicity and nationality, that's the only difference in a sense that's mm -hmm. presenting difference and so i think if i remember right from that that quote that i read from um dr ligon duncan in the sermon he said if god can bring together jew and gentile uh, essentially he can bring any anyone and anything mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. so it's and like a... any other difference is kind of lower than mm -hmm. or less than that original difference so it's like an argument from the greater to the lesser Exactly. If it was this big of a difference for them and Christ united them in himself, then these smaller things are things that we're, we're one and we need to work through. <laughs> yeah. And it's like we've said a couple of times before, you know, Ephesians is not about race at all. And it's also all about race. Mm -hmm. right? so, yeah. uh, but I think we don't need, when we think about applying it today, we should absolutely think about race, but of course, not only race. Yes. Uh, all of the other potential uh, dividing walls among us. And one of the elders made a comment to me afterwards that I thought was helpful. And he said, um, 
you know, at least that original dividing wall was something that God put up mm. and that God took down. Mm. Most of the other dividing walls of hostility that we struggle with are walls that we put up ourselves. Mm-hmm. Right. And mm. So uh, they're sort of, um, they're sort of walls of sin. Mm. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to, I've been thinking about this for upcoming sermons as well. And, you know, there's, I feel like there's two edges of this we can fall off on. I mean, one edge is simply to say, we're one in Christ, so no difference ever matters. And to say we are utterly and totally colorblind and um, um, uh, economically blind and education blind in the body of Christ. Uh, it's sort of, I think, it, it's overselling our unity to refuse to acknowledge the worldly ways in which we're different. Mm. I think if you'd fall off on that edge in the church. The other edge, of course, we can fall off on is is overly indulging in our worldly um, identities, mm-hmm. right? And so I think we as a church are something unique and different in the discussions of the day. Um, and I think we need that, that we are one in Christ. And so it, do, it doesn't mean we have no differences, but it definitely means our differences are lower down on the level of priorities and they all fall under our common identity in Christ. Hmm. Um, I had a, a little story related to that. Yeah, go uh, for it. When I was in Tunica, Mississippi, uh, there's we we joined together with a, a whole bunch of other churches in the area to do uh, like a racial reconciliation rally type thing. Yeah, and I remember the speaker that we brought him in from from outside. He was from a different city, and he came and spoke, and he said, uh, "We are reconciled." in Jesus Christ. We don't need to become reconciled, but we need to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And there are differences that we have to forgive each other and, uh, you know, challenge each other on. So that was the way he presented it. Mm -hmm. We are one, but we can't ignore the things that we've done to hurt each other. So I thought that was a good distinction. Yeah. Um, and I, I also like that you mentioned it is there are racial things, but there's there's more than that. I mean, there's also just political issues. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking I've thought since I've been here, what would happen if the church neighborhood, if there was like this huge revival. Right. And the neighborhood, like just imagine the entire neighborhood getting converted and deciding to come to our church. Just think about the implications like that neighborhood politically, you would say they vote a certain way that maybe the majority of our church members don't vote that way. Um, What would happen? Mm -hmm. How would we treat each other? How would we talk about things? You know, yeah, Uh, absolutely. that there's hostility over issues that potentially are not essential. Um, So um, that I think that might be one area. Uh, yes, as well. 100%. Mm. Uh, and I think what happens is churches, oftentimes, they, they, we all so desire our unity to only be around Christ. And we preach that and we teach that and we, we yearn to live it. And yet sort of inevitably, churches can form around different affinity groups, different education levels, different mm. demographics. Um, and that's I don't think that's inherently something bad, No, but it's something we need to be aware of. And I really don't, and I think it's something 
uh, you know, this is, this is a rabbit trail, but the church growth movement of the last 40 years has been all about identifying your demographic and creating a church for that very narrow demographic. Hmm. Uh, and I think that's a, a, a very troubling way to go about it. I think we need to recognize that our unity is solely in Christ, but, but also we share some things in common that would maybe make a visitor or a new member somewhat uncomfortable if they don't share those exact level hmm. C or, and D commitments, right? Lower yeah. down commitments in the Christian life. And, and that's where that Ligon Duncan quote I shared was so challenging to me mm. because he really put some meat on the bones. And it was essentially asking the question, how do you make other people feel who aren't like you, mm. but who are united to you in Christ? And that's such a challenging, I think, way to think about that. So it's, uh, how do I love my neighbor? But how do I love my Christian neighbor mm. uh, who is, I feel very different from me. Just thinking, so it's, it's less of, you don't have to uh, reject or remove your secondary or third level, fourth level views and things, but it's more of a, how do I relate to people that differ? Uh, and am I putting a stumbling block saying, to enter into Christianity or to be on good terms as a Christian, we have to, we have to fully agree on these third level or fourth level issues. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. Hmm. And that's why I use that. Sorry, go ahead. No, that was it. I use that example of uh, the apostle Peter who clearly believed this and yet he went foul of Paul hmm. uh, in his eating only with Jewish believers in order that he might follow the ceremonial law, because that's what they were comfortable with, thus excluding uh, other Christians. And I, I might say bringing in other uh, uh, Jews who did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And, and I think that's key to us, because I think sometimes we feel more at home with the people in our affinity groups or our demographics, even if they do not believe in Christ, than we do with other Christ followers with whom we have nothing in common but Jesus. Hmm. Does, that, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I think the challenge for me is thinking about when I'm with people who aren't like me, how am I interacting with them? What are my expectations of them? Am I seeking to see how they are experiencing uh, my flavor of Christianity, my church, am I humble enough to listen to them? And I know I'm not at times, right? I mean, I think my way of doing Christianity is 100% the right way, right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. just sort of our tendency. Um, but I think we need, we really need to be open-minded in how we listen to and love uh, other brothers and sisters in Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's the, that was the first, section here we've just yep. finished up and i think time wise we should probably start meandering over to the second yeah. section here well let me hit one more thing oh, okay yeah go there. ahead yeah uh, because this is an interesting dynamic as we uh, what we read going on in the early church was in most of these places the initial inside group were the israelites were the diaspora jews right the jewish people who had spread out to other uh, Greek cities. And so the outsiders, in a sense, are the Gentiles. 
But for most of 21st century evangelicalism in the West, the mm. insiders are Gentiles. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know my full family tree, but I'm pretty sure uh, in the first century I would have been called a Gentile. I suspect you may have been as well. Mm-hmm. I expect most of our members would be as well. And so there is something unique here about how we interact with our Jewish friends and oh, neighbors mm-hmm. right, who do not believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, and, I, you know, I had some good friends uh, in Charlotte who uh, their way of doing this was attending a, a Messianic Jewish church that was very committed. It was, it was a unique body, but they were very committed to the ceremonial laws. Uh, and uh, I don't think that's the way to go about it. Mm. But I do think there's a level of sensitivity that we should have in interacting with our uh, Jewish friends and neighbors, as God still clearly is uh, is calling the nations to himself. But as Paul says in Romans, uh, it is there is included in that a purpose for uh, the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. So I, it's an interesting way to read it as the roles are in a sense kind of reversed. Uh, and how do we interact with those hmm. who are different with us in that sense as well? So I don't know if you had any if you'd thought about that anymore, but I just wanted to hit that before we move to the next one. Yeah. I've, I've had similar, I had, um, I was brought into Jewish communities in college. I had a friend who became Messianic Jewish and then became Orthodox actually. Um, so I was sort of immersed in that sort of stuff, getting to know them through that. Um, yeah. And I mean, Christ is the stumbling block. I mean, Jesus Mm -hmm. is the stumbling block. We don't need to put other stumbling blocks in the way if we can help it. Uh, I totally understand. Paul says he became all things to all men that he might win them all to Christ. I mean, he he tries to take away the stumbling blocks as much as necessary. Uh, So um, I'm going to avoid eating shellfish around (laughs) certain people if it offends them. I'm going to avoid eating other things or doing this or doing that. Uh, simply because I don't want to cause offense because what I believe and what I proclaim that I want them to believe is already a big enough offense. I would rather them reject Christianity because of Christ than because of my rudeness or um, thought, not because I don't want them to reject it because of my thoughtlessness. So um, maybe that's just one way of putting it. Uh, Yeah. If we get close enough, to a neighbor who's Jewish and we're, we're friends with them, uh, you'll inevitably have these issues as well as how we relate to them on Saturday, Friday night, things like that. Um, that'll all come into play. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. Well, you did mention the time a minute ago, so yes, maybe hit yeah. one, one big right. one question from that last point. Okay. Last point was about Jesus proclaiming peace. So I guess I'm going to just assume we understand what peace is, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) it's, you know, a a, a correct relationship, a good relationship. That's how I would define peace. Um, But uh, I guess what does it do for us to see that Jesus is the one who has accomplished peace and is the herald of peace. What does that sort of thing do for us as Christians who want to share the gospel? 
Yeah. Um, you know, in the context, peace is sort of defined as the removal of hostility. Mm. Where hostility and peace are put against each other. Mm-hmm. And, so, and it's Jesus is the one who has um, removed the hostility. Mm. Right. And then he's the one that tells us he's done it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I mean, he's the one that, that broadcast that far and wide. So what does it do for us? I mean, I, I, I made the application that we are um, heralds and that Christ is heralding that peace through us. Mm. So I think it gives us uh, a, a bit of a clear sense of mission, right? That Christ, this isn't just a peace for you individually and me individually. It is the great mission of the church to bring, to bring peace to estranged men and women as a result of their sin. Uh, and so if Christ is the one who is heralding that peace, if it is the, his desire, his sincere desire, according to the will of the Father, to send the message of that peace to the far extremes of the earth, that gives us a, a, a very distinct understanding of our mission hmm. as heralds, that he is the only way to peace, and we publish that peace of far and wide. And we're not here to give some tips on how to live a good life now, right? We're mm. not here to, to spend our time with extraneous matters. We're not here to be preaching on some sort of external aspect of, right, right maybe some sort of new legalism part of the law. Mm. Uh, no, we, we have this preci- precious message by which uh, sinners can be made right with God by faith alone. And so I think it instills in us a sense of mission. I think it instills in us a deep sense of confidence hmm. uh, that it is Christ working through us um, to herald that peace. So does, does that sort of answer that question? Or do you have additional thought? On no, that? that's, that's what I was thinking. I mean, what I was thinking and feeling as you preached it um, was confidence. Uh, I mean, if I'm just, you know, the sub messenger per se, like I'm, I am just taking the message Jesus is proclaiming this. This is true. Believe it, you know, repent and believe it. Uh, if all I'm doing is relaying the message God's given us, then, and, and Jesus is the real herald, then Jesus will do the work for the ones he wants to save. And that gives me a lot of confidence. Uh, I don't have to manipulate people. I don't have to have like a very in-depth apologetic necessarily. Um, it's good to know apologetics, but mm-hmm. uh, and God uses apologetics, but I am just supposed to give the reason for the hope that is in me, which is the message uh, of the gospel. So right. um, that made me very confident. Uh, so I, that's what you were saying too. It gives you yeah. a clear mission. It gives you confidence. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, unless you have any other questions, I think I might wrap it up there. Nope. No more questions. That okay. Sounds good. All right. Uh, great. All right. Great. Thanks for listening to Watering Seeds. Uh, we hope you all have found this conversation helpful as you seek to live out your faith this week. Uh, we may have to adjust our schedule the next week or so uh, as we pu- publish these. I think we're going to have to take a week off. But then we'll get back to it as we wrap up Ephesians 2 uh, and begin Ephesians 3 uh, in the coming weeks. So thanks so much for listening. Uh, We hope to 
podcast. Be with you again soon. Until then, grace be with you all.